Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, that was good um, for some of you, all three of you. I'm glad it's good. Um, and we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, so it is not a common book um, that people run to when they go to the Bible, but I encourage you to go there with me, Ecclesiastes, and we'll be looking at chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And as we look there in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we have been uh, in a series in this book, and this is the way we uh, deal with uh, the Bible here at Treasure in Christ Church. We take books of the Bible and we just walk through them because we do believe the Bible is God's Word, and therefore we don't want to tell the Bible what to think, we want God to tell us who He is and how to live. And so, believing His Word is genuinely that his word he loves us enough to communicate that's why we are here so we take books that sometimes seem a little uh, obscure and we dive in believing they are God's word to us so that's where we are Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and I want to read uh, the first verse here of chapter 2 and I want to also then read verses 10 and 11 And here is uh, the word of God, and then I'll pray. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Actually, I'm just going to read verse 1, and then I'll go to 10 and 11. Verse 1 says this. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold... This also was vanity. Then look at verse 10 and 11. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them, keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all of my toil. And this was my reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And then I just want to read a couple more verses. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the book. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then Psalm 1611 says this. You make known to me the paths of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we stop right now and we say thank you. Thank you that you are with us. You are good and true and faithful. And you give joy to your people. It's your good pleasure to work for our joy, to give us your kingdom, to live in and among us and to change us. And we can bring a lot into this moment and we just ask that all the confusion, all the heaviness, all the discouragement, that Father, we would lay it all at your feet. We believe that you have a good word for us today. You have clearly communicated how much you love us by giving your only son 
to die in our place. And you have shown us that you have power to change lives by raising him from the dead. And so today, give us hope. And we pray all of this so that our deepest joy might be found in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Seven to eight years. Seven to eight years. Why seven to eight years? Why do we want to quit, need a change, get restless every seven to eight years? I had heard this about from a few different sources, but I needed to kind of test the waters and see if it was a real stat or somebody was just talking to me. And this is what I found out myself. How long do people stay in one house? Average, eight years. Think it'll probably get longer because of some of the economic difficulties we're in and at minimum the the demand to endure I think is actually a gift. What's the average length to own a car? 8.4 years. How long does the average marriage last? Seven to eight years. What is the trend of staying in one local church? Just a little under seven years. What about keeping a job? In the public sector, it's seven years. Private sector, it's even quicker, about four years. Why do we get so antsy? Why is endurance so hard? Sometimes change is best. It's the safest move, it's the healthiest move, and it's good for us. But many times, it's because we're grasping for something that this world cannot give us that we exhaust ourselves looking for the next thing. We abandon relationships that were we to endure in them, we would be stronger And they would as well. We run from the hard work of reconciliation. This world and our circumstances cannot satisfy the depths of our soul or sustain deep and abiding joy. My own story, we lived in the city for over 12 years, a couple years in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then lived off of Bloodworth Street here in Raleigh. And while we were there, it was some of the sweetest days. We have some of the craziest stories, but some of the sweetest days. I could spend hours just telling you all the fun stories that we experienced, and I would love to talk to you about that in another time, but not now. One point, our family started growing. It felt like the walls were kind of coming in on us. At the same time, there was that emotional feeling as well. The needs that we were around, whether it be the crime or whether it be many other things that were difficult, There was a weariness and an intensity of the needs around us. Also, our community was gentrifying and our neighbors were being moved all around the place. So, we ended up moving, following some of where our neighbors were relocated here to Southeast Raleigh, to what was called Suburban. And this is where we still live. We miss the city, though. It's interesting, once you leave something, you miss it. We missed the city. Then we got settled in southeast Raleigh. You begin to kind of venture out and you realize that, man, there's a lot of open fields and space just a little bit further away. You realize 
We left part of the city, but not all of the city. There's still a ton of cities still here in Southeast Raleigh. Poverty, crime, politics, needs, traffic. So we would venture out every now and then and look at the open spaces and say how beautiful it was out there. Then our family would take a trip to visit my family, who um, they, my mom and dad used to live in Tennessee. Now um, they live near us. They live here in Southeast Raleigh. And, but Dana's parents live in, uh, near the base of the Smoky Mountains. So we would travel out there and you would see mountains and they were beautiful. Mountains are pretty. Yep, they are. And so you go and you look at mountains and it's like, huh, I wonder what it'd be like. Mountains are pretty. I'd like to see mountains every day. That'd be pretty sweet. So then you take a vacation and you go to the beach. It's only a couple hours away. So you're at the beach and all of a sudden, man, be nice to kind of hang here for a little bit. I like the beach. It's really nice. What are you doing? You begin to realize that the more you see of this world, the more wonder lust grabs the heart. The more you long, the more you wish, the more you dream. You just long for something different. You glamorize what you used to have. The shiny new fades off of what you do have. And you dream for another life. Then you see others who have one thing or maybe many things that you don't have. And so you either start Amazoning, right? It should be a verb. It's not, but you start it. The couch, the shirt, the shoes, the car, the house, that new feature, that lifestyle, or that perceived success that others seem to purvey or put forth on social media. Or then you just realize, oh, you can't afford that lifestyle. You can't get that thing, and so you're tempted to jealousy. Their life looks so fabulous, and jealousy quickly turns into a complaining heart. A complaining heart, because a covetous heart is a leaky heart, and what leaks out is thanksgiving. I've been there. I think we all have. At this point, we begin to come a little blinded, right? We become a little blinded, and we don't see all that we have because we're obsessed with what we don't have. Then we can fall into self-pity. I know this story because I've lived this story. We fall into self-pity. Our life is hard. If we only had this or that, this relationship, this new location, this new thing, things would be different, this new experience. We just can't seem to be happy. But even the working so hard to get something new or have that experience... The pleasures still seem to fall flat. This is the message of Ecclesiastes. An often neglected book with a powerful message for our day. We again begin in the opening verses and we read these words. These uplifting, very positive words that you want to cross stitch on a pillow so you never forget them. It is vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity is vanities, all is vanity. (laughs) If that doesn't encourage you, he keeps going. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The answer is everything is vanity. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of a preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. The author of the book, Ecclesiastes, is telling us 
there is a preacher, the Hebrew word Kohelet. And this preacher is one who gathers together people to teach them a lesson. And the entire book is this teacher's lessons given to us. But the author preserves the last word to interpret and tell us what all of this teacher's wisdom and musings mean for us today. I read them at the beginning. The whole of life could be summarized into fear God and to keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. But 11 and a half chapters, he shares his struggle and his pain, his confusion. And this is wisdom literature. We talked about it last time. Proverbs is the general norms of how life goes. You follow God's ways, things will be better than following your own way. But then Job and Ecclesiastes are like the exceptions to the rule. And they acknowledge those painful exceptions in our lives. The good person dies like the foolish person does. The wicked seem to prosper at times. Injustice seems to have the last word many times on this earth. The couple doesn't always get together that you want to get together in the movies. Sorrow and heartache come to God's people just like those who are running from God. This life is not a Hollywood movie. And so the preacher says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Remember the word vanity, Hebrew word hevel, H-E-V-E-L. In Hebrew, it's actually a B, but you pronounce it hevel. What does it mean? It means smoke, breath, vapor. We'll use vapor. I think that that describes it. It's, it's a mist. It really means two things, temporary and fleeting. And it also means that this life is an enigma. You try to grab onto it, but it just, it's not there. The substance is not there. You can't hold onto it like smoke. It looks like it's there. You grab through it and your hand just sweeps right through. So the book of Ecclesiastes asks this question, what do we gain? What do we gain? Last week it was wisdom over folly. What do we gain in pursuing wisdom? But it keeps going. What do we gain through our work and our career? What do we gain through pursuing justice? What do we gain through money? What do we gain in trying to prevent aging and skirt around death? The conclusion over and over is over is none of these experiences satisfy. And the world seems broken. It's hevel. It's vapor. But as I concluded last week, the brokenness doesn't get the last word. It's in the broken cracks of our world where you see the light of Jesus shine through. It's in the broken places, the places of deep pain or betrayal, confusion, hurt, where you commune and meet with God in the deepest and most profound ways. And it's there where true joy and pleasure can be found. It's where hope is brought to the hopeless and joy to the downcast. And so today, as we look at Ecclesiastes, the preacher says this, not only wisdom, career, money, justice, and aging, they just leave us longing, but even a pursuit of pleasure itself, it leaves us longing. 
And so we read these words, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you heart with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this pursuit of pleasure, it is what? Vapor. It's vanity. That's right. So look at this verse, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 11. I said in my heart, come now and I will test you, O heart, with pleasure. (laughs) He's talking to himself. As one commentator said, it's like he is opening up his diary to us, his journal. And as we're flipping open the pages of his journal, he's saying, I really want to know where pleasure is found. What is going to satisfy my heart? And I am just so thankful that God leaves these words and preserves these words as scripture. Because as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you see real raw emotion. You don't see everything is rosy. God gives us a book where our questions are made audible, our frustrations, our feelings of being let down, our groanings are articulated right in front of us. It's an expression of lost hope at times or a struggle to make sense of our experience. It acknowledges our tired and exhausted days. And so he says, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, heart. It's like he's letting his heart go. Enjoy yourself, heart. Behold, he says, it's all vanity. And the next rest of the uh, uh, 10 verses that we're going to look at, he's basically going to tell us how he arrived at that conclusion. So when he says, I will test you with pleasure. Interestingly enough, this is the same word that's used to describe Queen Sheba when she came to test and see if King Solomon was the wisest in all the land like she had heard. And so how does that help us here? Because when Queen Sheba came from Ethiopia all the way to visit Solomon, it showed pursuit. And then when she got there, she asked questions. She listened to his response. She spent time in his presence with him. And this is exactly what likely Solomon is speaking about right here. He's allowing his heart to dive into pleasure and to look at it and to test it, almost like a subject, to sit with it, to ask it questions, to receive from it, to see where in the world can I find satisfaction. This is the question every human heart asks. Where do I find joy? Where's joy found? Zach Eswine says it this way. The Bible raises a question that every human being asks. Is there a thing in the world that can truly satisfy the heart of a human being? That is the question of this passage. Is there a thing in the world that can satisfy our hearts. And all of us ask it. And so, what did he learn from this testing of pleasure? I think three things. Pleasure as a vapor, pleasure as a gift, and pleasure as a pointer. Pleasure as a vapor. He just told us the conclusion 
he said, but behold, this pursuit of pleasure was all a vapor. And now he is just going to go through a list of all the different ways he explored pleasure. And I know you will be able to identify with most, if not all of these. Every one of us, including me, have thought about, pursued, sought to find delight, joy in these things. And so here's where he begins. He begins with laughter. Laughter is a gift. It is wonderful to laugh. One commentator was talking about how he got the hiccups. And as he was, had the hiccups, he just could not stop him. And so the family kept trying to scare him. They tried to make fun of him. And he just kept hiccuping. And then all of a sudden, he was, they, they tried to do this, you know, this kind of scare. And it didn't work. And everybody just starts laughing. And they laugh for all these tears flowing down. And then everything gets quiet. Next thing you hear, he does it again. You know, it's just like, and then they laugh again. But laughter doesn't always linger. Tears come at different times. We take joking, the pleasure of joking, and it's a lot of fun. There's a whole category of dad jokes. I think the definition of dad jokes is bad jokes that aren't funny, that they're so bad you laugh at them. And sometimes dads tell them. We love to joke, but joking can also hurt people, can it? It too is vanity. You're like, man, what a buzzkill. Stop dragging us down. Well, let's just keep rolling, family. We're not going to end on the buzzkill, but the pleasure of joking is a vapor. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 3, he said, I searched with my heart on how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. So I drank, but I didn't drink to such Depths of drunkenness that I couldn't process, is this really having benefit or not? So I drank while keeping my mind about me. Ecclesiastes talks about how wine, chapter 9, verse 7, makes the heart happy or merry. Chapter 10, verse 19, it gladdens life. But the Proverbs also say that if you look to it for the ultimate joy, it calls it a mocker. Or a brawler, one that beats you up, one that leads you astray in Proverbs 20, verse 1. Even the pleasure of wine, intoxication, is a vapor. He goes on, verse 3, And how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of life. What did he do? He flirted with folly. So he didn't die fully in, but he was around it enough so that he could observe those who just had this mentality, the pleasure of living as you want to live. No restraints. You're the king of your own castle, the governor of your own universe, and you just live. Is that where pleasure is found? He said he got up next to it. He flirted with it. He saw it. It didn't deliver. There was still misery to be found. Even when you felt you were in charge of your own life. Ecclesiastes 2 verses 4 to 6. He says, so I made great works. 
I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. What's he talking about? He pursued the pleasure of possessions. The building of the bigger house, right? The nicer car. More, more, more. More land. More space. More things. The bigger is better mentality. Does it satisfy? He's saying the conclusion was it didn't. It was a vapor. It looked like it was so good to hold on to and I couldn't grab it. What about the pleasure of beauty in the same verses? Gardens, open spaces, parks, forests, fruit trees. He even says pools to water the growing trees, maybe even to bathe in. Beautiful landscapes, beautiful art, beautiful parks, beautiful vistas, even the beauty of body image, it fades. It feels good, looks good, then winter comes. Water gets algae. Green overgrows, and you got to start trimming it because it just keeps coming. Bodies grow older. Vapor. Ecclesiastes 2.7 says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Now, slavery here was different than American slavery, but still, it, it acknowledges this impulse to own others and to dominate them, which is evil. Solomon is saying, pursuing power and the pleasure that power gives, is that where I'm going to be satisfied? It even talks about the number multiplying. Slaves are born in my house. I kept getting more and more workers. Should increase my wealth. Is that how I'm going to be satisfied? It was empty. And then, you know, if you have more people doing work for you, it means you're doing what? You're working less, right? It's kind of the pleasure of retirement. It's like, okay, if they're going to do the work for me and I can still make an income, I got life easy. I, don't ha I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. Even that pleasure at the end of his life did not deliver. It was a vapor. Ecclesiastes 2.7, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Herds and flocks, the pleasure of food, herds, cattle, the pleasure of flocks, clothing. We've already seen the fruit trees early on. Is that going to deliver a good meal? I like good meals now. Owning a restaurant, clothing stores, full closet. Is that going to give me the pleasure I long for? He says, it was a vapor. The pleasure didn't last. It kept fleeting away. Then he goes on. Verses 7 and 8. Or verse 7, he says, I had more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. It's the pleasure of I've got more. The comparison pleasure. I've got more than you do. 
And so that makes me feel better about me. Is that going to really help me? Some of us work so hard to just get ahead. Get ahead of what used to be. Get ahead of where we are. Get ahead of a neighbor. Whatever it is that I've got more mentality. He's saying it didn't deliver. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 7 and 8. He says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. He had the pleasure of money. All the cash you would ever want, gold and silver. He had the pleasure of music. Hey, I could call up a concert at any moment. It's like I could have Super Bowl halftime at my house whenever I want it on demand. It's like this was his world. Or he had the pleasure of sex. I can have physical pleasure whenever I desire it. Pleasure upon pleasure. Ecclesiastes 2.9. He said, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. It's the pleasure of fame. I was known. I was at the top. Or the pleasure of wisdom like we talked about last week. I know more. I'm smarter than. And he says it's all a vapor. Every one of those can give us an adrenaline rush. A burst of joy and pleasure. But he said it's not sustaining. So Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11. The summary of the matter of these most uplifting verses in all of scripture. And whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. That word toil is all my exertion. I just gave all my energy at getting as much pleasure as I could. And this was the reward of my toil. I actually got some pleasure. And you're like, sounds good. And yet, he says... Then I considered all that my hands had done, all the work, all the labor, all the expending of energy and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, verse 11, all was a vapor. It was like running after the wind. Let that image sit on you. That sounds exhausting. And he says there was nothing to be gained. Under the sun. Where does my joy come from? Where does my heart find its pleasure? A guy opens his heart and runs as hard as he can after all of it. Every pleasure that you and I have ever run after. And the end of the story, he says, is nothing was ultimately gained. Because it never stuck. Our pleasure bucket has leaks. Tons of holes in it. So we fill it up and it looks full. We feel like we can rest only to look at it and water keeps running out. So then you get exhausted when your bucket has more than 10 holes, right? Because you've only got so many hands, right? And so you're trying to plug them all and then you, it's awkward to try to get your feet in the holes. It's exhausting. Our pleasure bucket has leaks. One of my favorite restaurants here in Raleigh, barbecue restaurant called Prime. It has etched on the counter these two words, stay 
hungry. And not only is that restaurant successful because it offers a really good product, it's successful because we will always be hungry. Always. It is remarkable how I can eat until I'm almost sick. And yet later in the day, I thought I would never eat again. And I'm hungry again. You've experienced that at Thanksgiving, right? I could own, I would, I'm eating as much and as much as I could. And as it might be even healthy and maybe not healthy. And you're, you're wrestling with that. And then later on in the day, you're still hungry again. What is that? You get the promotion only so that you might further climb up. But it wasn't all that you thought it would be. The hours, the travel, the difficulty. You get the car or the house or the phone or the land only to find it was enjoyable. But the intensity of the joy fades and the upkeep is exhausting. Nothing to be gained, he says. Pleasures are fleeting. They are not forever. They wane. The shiny new car becomes old. The new church becomes normal. The new house becomes average. The new job becomes a grind. A vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's a vapor. And so, with this message, he is not trying to communicate that the pursuit of joy is a sin. He is trying to communicate the pursuit of joy as an end in itself apart from God is a vapor. It'll actually exhaust and destroy you. It will not deliver. Max, sustained, uninterrupted, non-fleeting pleasure on this earth is a vapor. Pleasure is kind of a momentary burst that fades. And so some of us, the approach is, yes, that's right. Momentary burst that fades. So if I can string together enough momentary bursts, then I'm going to be happy and life is good. He's saying, it'll exhaust you. Wear you down. And it won't deliver. He says it's a toil. This is why C.S. Lewis says this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if in Christ Jesus we have hope in this life only, we as Christians of all people are most to be pitied. But our hope is not in this life only. The Christian story says this, verse 20 of chapter 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, code word for died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also from the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Where is our joy found? It's not on this earth solely. It's in Christ 
and the resurrected life for all who trust in him. That's why Psalm 1611, which I read, he says, in your presence, O God, is fullness of joy. You hear that? Fullness of joy. It's no fuller than full. In your presence, O God, is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures that fade away. No. Pleasures forevermore. Our God is not against pleasure seeking. Our God just tells us to find pleasure. It must be sought in Christ. It must be sought in Jesus. Everything fades One Maverick City song says, everything fades, but Jesus keeps on getting better. He keeps on getting better. And I can tell you through many personal trials, through the ups and downs and suffering, He does keep getting better. That does not mean my circumstances keep getting better. Ecclesiastes will bear witness to the fact that many times our circumstances don't. But I can testify After now 46 some odd years, I can testify that my joy in Christ is growing and increasing. He keeps getting better. So what is the response that he's pushing us to? It's to see pleasure as a gift. And to see pleasure as a pointer to something way beyond just the the pleasures of today. It's to the pleasures of Jesus. Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us this, that pleasure actually is a gift. And so he wants our response to be this, Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 13. What gain has the worker from all of his exertion? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in the man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I have perceived that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as, the, as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So he just spent 11 verses telling us how he just let pleasure run in his heart and it was vapor. And he says the result of that is that we... Enjoy life and receive pleasure. Does that feel confusing to you? It's like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Unless it's the wear of the pleasure that is the linchpin of the argument. He is saying, enjoy life. Eat and drink. Enjoy God's gifts. But enjoy them as temporary because only God is where the fountain of full and forever joy is found. Enjoy life, but just enjoy things on this earth as temporary because Jesus is the substance where joy is found forever. Joy is a gift from God as Ecclesiastes 3 just taught us. Joy is a gift from God when God is the ultimate joy. I'll say it again. Joy is a gift from God when God is the ultimate joy. That's why he commands, Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord. 
always, I say it again, rejoice. He's not against our joy. He wants us happy, joyful. He wants pleasure to fill our hearts. And he knows that that's found in the Lord. In the Lord. And you might ask, why? Why does he say, find joy in the Lord? And it's like a thirsty man. You tell him, okay, go to the fountain to drink. And he says, why should I do that? Because that's where the water is. And so if we say, run to Jesus, why should I do that? Because that's where the joy is found. This invitation is the best news in all the world because mystery of mysteries, grace upon grace, is that in our sin, we deserved eternal punishment. But God in His mercy did not give us what we deserved. Instead, He gave what we deserved to His Son. And Jesus stood in our place And took the punishment that our sin deserves because God has to be just. But not only did he not give us what we deserve, he gave us what we did not deserve. That's grace, which is anyone who acknowledges their inability to save themselves, anyone who acknowledges that they cannot fix their guilt and shame and calls out that Jesus alone can do it, they actually will be found in Him, given new life and a new heart, the power of the resurrection living inside of them, and they have hope. This is the good news, and God gives us joy. He gives joy. Romans 15, 13, we just finished the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with what? All joy and peace in believing. God is the giver of joy. We preached through the book of Nehemiah right before we moved here. Nehemiah 8, 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Where does joy come from? It comes from the Lord. You might have memorized Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, love. There we go. Participation. I appreciate that. That was great. Joy. It's a gift of the Spirit of God who dwells within all those who trust in Christ. You are not left alone. God gives what he supplies. And so Ecclesiastes, it just acknowledges. It acknowledges the gap in our experience. God promises to give us joy. And in this life, we struggle to have joy. And he's saying, the more you pursue your joy in God, the closer the gap gets on this side of heaven until you see him face to face when you will be with him forevermore. And you will have full and forever joy. Full and forever joy. And so, we are commanded in the scriptures What's the result of this? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. The more you know Jesus, the more you trust him. The more you trust him, the more you see how much he loves you. The more you see how much he loves you, the safer and more secure you feel and you grow. 
And where trust is, joy is found. Do you trust him? He loves you. This joy is a gift. And not only is he where the joy is found, but he gives us everything in this earth to enjoy. 1 Timothy 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Look at 1 Timothy 6.17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hopes on God, who richly provides us everything to what? Enjoy. So, in my family... All of our birthdays but Dana's are in the first three months of the year. And so we just celebrated Jaden's and Bear's. And this past weekend, we celebrated Mercy's. And Mercy got an eclair cake that my wife made. And we discovered it and remembered it last night. I tell you, I sat down. I got a piece Obviously, this sermon is on my mind. And I loved that eclair cake. And I loved the second piece of eclair cake. And the milk that I drank with it, sorry if you're lactose intolerant, it was a good combo for me. And I just enjoyed the mess out of that. It was so good. And I really wanted a third piece, but I said, probably not best right now. And I just enjoyed this. And I'm sitting there. And I was just like thankful and my heart was like swelling with thanksgiving. And then I just thought, and Jesus is better than this. He's just better. What God does is he gives us some experiences on this earth that just make our heart happy. And the author of Ecclesiastes says, enjoy that. But enjoy it as a gift from God and as temporary, but enjoy it as a pointer to one who is everlastingly better than what you just enjoyed. Do you see how it's meant to work together? Some say God doesn't want you joyful, God doesn't want you happy, He wants you holy. I was told that. That's a crock. It's just not true. As if holiness and happiness are at opposite ends. But what if your pursuit of happiness actually made you holier? I think that's how the Bible speaks. Enjoy God's gifts, but enjoy them as a pointer To who is everlastingly better? I reached out to Pastor Travis this week and I just said, hey bro, I would love any insights you have on the book of Ecclesiastes and I would love to hear from you. And he wrote this and I just found it so helpful. He said, one of my burdens for the book of Ecclesiastes is this. I want people to enjoy the life God has given them and not be shackled 
by their unmet expectations. I want them to lean into the contentment to be found and enjoying God's gifts given to us in his story while leaning away from the anxiety that comes from always yearning for the more fantastic life. And he wrote this. I thought it was so helpful. We can put our hope in this or that and it will prove to be a vapor. But he said... Sometimes I just want to say, it's okay that our life is not fabulous. It's okay that our life has chinks in it. That's just life. And as I said last week, all of life is meant to be a parable. A parable of longing. You were made for another world. You were made for the best of all relationships. A relationship with Jesus. Never fades. Ever increasing joy until you see him face to face. Dear friends, when pleasure is an end in itself, it's a leaky bucket and our thanksgiving drips out of us. But when we see pleasure as a gift from God to be enjoyed, but enjoy this life as temporary, enjoy it as a pointer to something better, then thanksgiving begins to well up in the heart. You begin to just look at things differently. Some of us who really are going through hard times, this book of Ecclesiastes says, give voice to those hard times. Don't just gloss over them like, yeah, everything's great. No, it's not. It's hard. Take those It's not okay. The tears, the pain, and God says, I want those. This is part of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's God wants those. But he also wants us to stop looking at life as glass half empty and start enjoying the things that are right in front of us. Enjoy them as temporary, but enjoy them as a pointer to our great God. Here's a quote by Pastor John Piper. He says this, The really wonderful moments of joy in this world are not the moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. Standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and contemplating your own greatness is pathological. At such moments, we are made for a magnificent joy that comes from outside ourselves. That joy is in a God who has proven he loves us so much that he sent his son. He communicated our value and that he gave Christ in our place. He communicated his power by raising Jesus from the dead. He communicates that he still loves you by constantly giving all who trust in him his Holy Spirit. You have all the supply you need to do what all he's called you to do. Pastor John Piper also says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. This is not stop pursuing pleasure. It's actually, let's go after it harder. Let's go after pleasure with all of our might 
Pursue pleasure more because in Christ and in his presence is full joy. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in these moments that we have, that we will look at our pursuits of earthly fleeting pleasure with sobriety. They were never meant to ultimately satisfy. And so, Father, although that can feel like a downcast message, I pray that it actually unlocks the shackles of our unmet expectations. Just constantly walking around in wanderlust, looking for the next thing to fill us up. Instead, I pray that we just enjoy life as it comes to us. Trusting in your fatherly care, in your tenderness and your love. Father, I pray that what you cause to happen in this room is that you set some people free. Those who feel like joy can't be a part of their walk with you would be set free to really enjoy the things that you give them. But God, for all of us who are tempted to put all our weight on those things, I pray that we would see that it is a vapor. It's like leaning on a broken crutch. It feels like it holds us for a second only to collapse when we put all our weight on it. Father, I pray that all of our weight would be put on you. That we would trust you. We would hold nothing back from you. And we would give all of our hearts to you. So help us, Lord, I pray, to enjoy this life to the full, but enjoy it as temporary and make you the aim of our deepest delight. And I just pray that as we transition into a time of the Lord's Supper, that this meal would be just a time to confess that. For some of us, we've been walking headlong into these pleasures and really wanting them to satisfy. And I thank you for this message, Father, that teaches us those things won't. It's a fool's errand. It's a vapor. And so sometimes we need to confess our sin to you because that's where freedom is found. We don't get set free till acknowledge that we're shackled. So, God, I ask that you would cause confession to happen in our hearts of sin but I pray that you would also cause confession of faith of joy of thanksgiving to happen in our hearts as we take this Lord's Supper the confession that Jesus lived it all perfectly gave it all in suffering in our place that you showed your power over all sin, Satan and death so that all who would trust in you might be rescued forever. This is our confession today.